This is VOA News. I'm Tommy McNeil. Despite mounting criticism, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu spoke on ABC this week and defended his intention to launch a military ground operation in Rafah. That is the border town currently sheltering more than a million Palestinians who say they have nowhere else to go. America's foreign allies have now said that they are watching the presidential race, and they're wondering if there's going to be a bumpy ride ahead for international relations. Russia attacked Ukraine with a barrage of drones. This comes as additional funding for Ukraine's efforts to defend itself against Russia faces hurdles in the U.S. Congress. The Senate has tried to move forward with the bill, but... The U.S. House has not and has been stalemated. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has been hospitalized yet again following symptoms pointing to an emergent bladder issue. In a statement, the Pentagon says that Austin was transported by his security detail to Walter Reed National Military Medical Center around 2.20 on Sunday. He has now transferred all of his authorities to the Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks. He remains in the hospital. Austin was diagnosed with prostate cancer back in December, and he does continue to deal with the complications from his treatment. Police say that a woman opened fire with a long gun inside the celebrity pastor Joel Olstein's Texas megachurch before she was being had been gunned down by two off-duty police officers who confronted her. A young child was accompanied by the woman. More at voanews.com. This is VOA News. Former Prime Minister Alexander Stubb has narrowly won Finland's presidential election runoff against the former Foreign Minister Pekka Havisto. As head of state, Stubb's main task will be to steer the Nordic country's foreign and security policy. This, of course, now that it is a member of NATO. And it follows Russia's invasion of Ukraine with over 99% of the votes actually counted. Stubb, who was on the center-right, had received 51.6% of the votes, while Havisto, an independent candidate from the Green Left, got about 48.4%. The 55-year-old Stubb, who was prime minister in 2014 and 2015, will become the 13th president of Finland since the Nordic country's independence from the Russian Empire in 1917. The death toll from a massive landslide that hit a gold mining village in the southern Philippines has risen significantly. Initially, there were reports of about 54 people who are dead and 63 people missing, but the number has now gone up. The landslide hit the mountain village of Masara in Davao de Oro province on Tuesday night. After weeks of torrential rains, provincial government said in a Facebook post that the 54 bodies initially were retrieved and later found the others. It said 32 residents did survive, but they had injuries. Officials have said that among those missing were gold miners waiting in two buses to be driven home when the landslide struck and buried them. More than 1,100 families have been moved to evacuation centers for their safety. NATO's leader is warning that former U.S. President Donald Trump is putting the safety of U.S. troops and their allies at risk. 
The alliance's secretary general, Jens Stoltenberg, issued a statement on Sunday after the Republican presidential frontrunner said Russia should be able to do whatever the hell they want to alliance members who don't meet their defense spending targets. Stoltenberg said that the 31 allies are committed to defending each other. Trump's remarks caused deep concern in Poland, which has been under Russian control more often than not since the end of the 18th century. The Polish Prime Minister Donald Tusk called for European NATO members to increase the defense spending. Police say that a woman in a trench coat opened fire with a long gun inside celebrity pastor Joel Osteen's Texas megachurch before she was gunned down by two off-duty police officers. You'll find more at voanews.com. I'm Tommy McNeil, VOA News. to former U.S. President Donald Trump's NATO comments draws quick global criticism. Let's be serious. NATO cannot be uh, a la carte military alliance. U.S. President Joe Biden meets with Jordan's King Abdullah II at the White House. Today, the King and I discussed with our senior foreign policy staffs what the issue is front and center in the Middle East and well beyond. And in Indonesia's presidential election, TikTok has become the second most used source of information. As it seems nowadays, people prefer a happy campaign model, which includes dancing. Today is Tuesday, February 13th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I'm Scott Walterman. Donald Trump's claim that he once told a NATO ally that he would encourage Russia, quote, to do whatever the hell they want, unquote, to delinquent members of the group, sent shockwaves through Europe. Reaction was swift and triggered a rare rebuke from NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. VOA's senior diplomatic correspondent, Cindy Sane, reports from the State Department. Speaking Saturday at a campaign rally in Conway, South Carolina, Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump veered from his prepared remarks to talk about his view that European countries are taking advantage of the United States and not paying their fair share for their security. And one of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, Will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills. Trump's apparent fondness for Russian President Vladimir Putin and distrust of NATO allies are not new. But this comment encouraging Moscow to attack a NATO ally triggered a more-than-normal slew of European reactions. In a statement, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said, any suggestion that allies will not defend each other undermines all of our security, including that of the U.S., and puts American and European soldiers at increased risk. European Union Foreign Policy Chief Joseph Borrell said this, Let's be serious. NATO cannot be an alliance a la carte. It exists or it not exist. 
but I'm not going to spend my time comment any silly idea that comes during this electoral campaign in the U.S. No country has debts to NATO, as Trump suggests. In 2014, Alliance allies pledged to move towards spending 2% of their gross domestic product on defense by 2024. NATO estimates that as of early 2023, 10 of its 30 member states were close to that 2% mark. One expert noted that Trump has also asked the Republican-led House of Representatives not to provide any more U.S. military aid for Ukraine, which is fighting a defensive war against Russia. Michael Kimmage is a professor of history with the Catholic University of America. He spoke to VOA via Zoom. American policy is to some degree already shifting because there's a candidate Trump and because Trump is the leader of the Republican Party. I think that these comments are in a way the icing on the cake uh, and, you know, suggest that uh, depending on how the election goes, Europe could in some ways be alone uh, with Russia uh, and Europe could be significantly more alone uh, with the war in Ukraine. Another expert told VOA that Congress has put some policies in place to protect the NATO alliance, which has guaranteed security in Europe since the end of World War II. Lindsay Newman is head of Eurasia Group's global macro geopolitics practice. She spoke to VOA via Zoom. And in fact, in 2023, as part of um, the National Defense Authorization Act, uh, Congress actually passed um, a requirement that the president, any president, couldn't unilaterally withdraw from NATO without congressional approval. But other experts say a future president would have other ways of weakening NATO short of a formal withdrawal, including by pulling U.S. troops out of Germany or by casting doubts on America's treaty obligation to honor Article 5, NATO's Mutual Defense Clause. Under the clause, all NATO allies commit to help any member who comes under attack. The article has only been activated once by the United States in the wake of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Cindy Sane, VOA News, the State Department. Trump's language is misleading about how NATO works. There, there are no bills to be paid. NATO members don't pay subscription fees and do not owe the alliance money for defense. What he's actually referring to is a vague commitment NATO countries made in 2006 and formalized in 2014 to spend 2% of their gross domestic product on their own defense. Joining us now to talk about this is Jesse Driscoll. He's an associate professor of political science and serves as chair of the Global Leadership Institute at the University of California, San Diego. Let's start with what this NATO commitment actually is. Sure. So the main thing to understand is that there is a defense investment guideline, which all NATO member states have agreed to, which is typically benchmarked at 2%. Uh, and you can take this back to 2006, but it's the sort of thing that gets ceremonially agreed to every year. And since the most recent full-scale invasion of Ukraine, it has certainly been reiterated uh, by all of the allies that 2% of GDP will be spent on defense. The idea is that there's recognition that there have been shortfalls 
in the past, but now in the future going forward, everyone in the alliance is going to pay 2% so that it's not the United States picking up the slack for European countries um, subsidizing their welfare states, but not actually investing in their own defense and security. That's the criticism. And, and to that root. point, to be fair, uh, he's not wrong. There are countries, big countries like Germany, which is the most robust economy in Europe that does not spend 2% of their GDP on defense. Yes, that is correct. And I think that he's also, if we're going to be fair, channeling the frustration of a lot of people who have watched Europeans essentially sit by and watch the United States draw down its entire stock of 155 artillery munition, giving it to Ukraine and missing key decision points that might have been not blown through that would have allowed more burden sharing within the alliance. The reason that the alliance uses standard interoperable weapons is precisely so that it's not necessarily the United States' munition that is being used in any NATO war. It could be French, it could be anyone's. And some of these countries do have, in principle, large defense industrial bases that could have been put to work keeping Ukraine resupplied. And so, um, you know, the, the issue, the underlying issue here is that there is an expensive war in Europe and a lot of people in the Republican Party are frustrated that our European allies are not spending more aggressively to enable Ukrainian resilience. Now, they're doing a lot of other things, and I don't think the criticism is entirely fair, as stated, but I think that's the heart of the frustration and the criticism. Well, it's also a mindset of, you know, isolationism, but that's another story. The thing that really triggered this latest round of angst was his comments that um, if you're not spending 2% of your GDP on defense and you get attacked by Russia, I'm not coming to your aid. Yes, and of course, that's the kind of inflammatory statement that forced... Uh, a strong response, an institutional response that now he gets to run against <laughs> is the um, is, is the frustration on the part of not only our soldiers and sail sailors um, who feel that he's making American defense uh, commitments less credible in the future and undermining American deterrence, which puts all of us at risk. But more than that, um, it's really disrespectful to um, and, and shows a deep misunderstanding of the alliance structures that are the centerpiece of American grand strategy. And the national security strategy is quite clearly, quite clearly states that um, our allies and partners are the center of gravity for American national security in the future. Trump behaves as if that is not true, but it is true and it will remain true and just to sort of explain why not coming to the aid of a NATO ally is problematic. NATO is a is a mutual defense uh, alliance. The the nature of the alliance is that you will have uh, Article Four and Article Five, Article Four and Five consultations uh, if any member is attacked, and 
the sacredness of the pledge, the idea that Biden is capable of saying and making it credible that we will defend every inch of NATO territory depends on a belief that the United States and other NATO allies will actually do that. I mean, recall that when the United States was attacked on September 11th, NATO consulted and said a NATO member has been attacked. And then NATO went into Afghanistan. It wasn't the United States going in alone. We were attacked and a lot of people say that was NATO's finest hour. Jesse Driscoll, chair of the Global Leadership Institute at the University of California, San Diego. President Biden has welcomed Jordan's King Abdullah to the White House for talks on how to end the months-long war in Gaza and plan for what comes afterward. As the King and I discussed today, the United States is working on a hostage deal between Israel and Hamas which would bring an immediate and sustained period of calm to Gaza for at least six weeks, which we could then take the time to build something more enduring. Taking the lectern after Biden spoke, Abdullah renewed his appeal for a broad ceasefire. The situation is already unbearable for over a million people who have been pushed into Rafah since the war started. We cannot stand by and let this continue. We need a lasting ceasefire now. This war must end. Before embarking on a tour of western capitals, Abdullah participated in an airdrop of humanitarian aid to Gaza, a move that highlighted his kingdom's role in pushing Israel to stop restricting efforts to fend off illness, hunger, and starvation in the Strip. Hamas is a U.S.-designated terrorist group. other stories from around the world. The United States called Monday for respect of freedom of assembly as Pakistani authorities warned they'd ban protests by supporters of jailed former Prime Minister Imran Khan after his bloc's shock election triumph. However, because they're designated as independents, they can't form a government, raising fears of prolonged political uncertainty. Video has emerged of a meeting between Brazil's then-president, Jair Bolsonaro, and his cabinet urging action in the face of a potential victory by his challenger, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, in the 2022 presidential election. The video was released by Brazil's Supreme Court, recorded months before that election. A Canadian-Russian woman on Monday pleaded guilty in a U.S. court to money-laundering conspiracy, for her role in a multi-million dollar scheme to send drone and missile components to Russia for military use against Ukraine. The U.S. Justice Department said she laundered money on behalf of several Brooklyn front companies to ship U.S. origin electronics to sanctioned entities in Russia. A new bill allowing authorities to confiscate the property of Russians convicted of deliberately spreading what is deemed as fake news about Russia's armed forces could soon become law. If signed into law, it would also allow the state to seize the property of Russian emigrants who criticized the war in Ukraine. Katarina Besadina has the story narrated by Anna Rice. Russian President Vladimir Putin is expected to sign into law a bill that would allow the government to confiscate the property of people whom it convicts of deliberately spreading false news about Russia's military. 
законопроекта о негодяях и предателях. Вячеслав Володин, chairman of Russia's State Duma, says the law will punish scoundrels and traitors who have betrayed Mother Russia and are living abroad and receiving revenue by renting out their property. Other offenses that could lead to asset confiscation include failing to comply with an order, deserting the military, calling for sanctions to be imposed on Russia, and participating in the activities of an undesirable organization. Russian opposition leader Dmitry Gutkov says the law can be interpreted however the government wants. He says it was passed to make sure people are afraid to rally, afraid to vote for anyone but Putin, or protest Putin's rule. Former Duma deputy and opposition leader Dmitry Gutkov is now a wanted man in Russia for criticizing Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Gutkov, who has not lived in the country for several years, says he got rid of his property in Russia, but other anti-government-minded people were not so lucky. He says when the war started, many people who disagreed with the authorities and disapproved of the war left the country. And obviously many of them haven't had time to sell their property in Russia, and they are the ones who'll be targeted. According to Ovade Info, an independent Russian human rights media project, about 830 people have had cases brought against them for their anti-war position in Russia. About one-third of these cases involve charges of spreading false information about the army. John Herbst, senior director of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center, says the measure is just an attempt to hide the truth about Russia's war crimes. The Russian government wants to project a myth about the Russian army's activities in Ukraine. They want to deny the war crimes. They want to hide the failures. And so they will punish people who... Um, break those myths. Andrew Wood, an expert on Russian policy at London-based Chatham House, says it's important that the authorities create an illusion of mass support for Putin. Opinion in Russia of the futile uh, achievements that they had from the war and the reasons that it's, it started, um, like complaints of, of, of uh, people who have relatives or husbands or whatever at the front um, against what is being done, it's increased. And I think that Putin himself is um, a bit more conscious of the fact that his, his uh, hold, hold is not as big as it has been on the Russian population. Experts like Herbst and Wood say mass property confiscation is unlikely, but they expect the government to target individuals who criticize the war. Fokatirina Bisedina in Washington, NRI's VOA News. International edition continues. I'm Scott Walterman. More than a hundred million people are expected to vote in Indonesia's presidential election on Wednesday. Indonesia is a vibrant democracy, but some fear it's sliding back to a past that wasn't democratic at all. 
One reason they think this is possible is because many young people don't know much about that history. And as this vote approaches, candidates have gravitated toward TikTok as they try to reach those young voters. It's a platform that has become the country's second most used source of information on politics after television, according to a pollster. But it's a platform that experts say also comes with issues. Here's Reuters correspondent Christy Kilburn. These Indonesian women are trying to promote presidential candidate Prabowo Subianto on TikTok. It's a platform all three candidates have gravitated towards as they try to reach the country's millions of young voters ahead of the February 14th election. TikTok has 125 million users in Indonesia and has become the country's second most used source of information on politics after television, according to pollster Indicator Politik Indonesia. Fazan Habib is a social media campaigner for Subianto. The cute dance is quite viral because it was introduced and even done by Mr. Prabowo himself. And it turns out that the public loves it. As it seems nowadays, people prefer a happy campaign model, which includes dancing. Sibianto's rivals, Anise Baswedan and Ganjar Pranowo, have also ramped up their presence on the app, answering questions during live streams or sharing videos of heartfelt encounters with voters. But experts say TikTok is also flooded with problematic content that attempts to manipulate young voters. Enda Truastuti is a communications researcher at the University of Indonesia. She says many young voters may not be aware that Sibianto has been forced to deny allegations of human rights abuses during his time as Special Forces Commander. Youth who are targets of this rebranding do not have a grasp of the historical and political context within Prabowo's political ecosystem. This is consistent with narratives on TikTok, such as, if he did violate human rights, why was he never jailed? Manipulated images and deepfake videos of the candidates have also circulated widely. TikTok says on its website, its policy is to remove harmful misinformation and work with fact checkers to flag or debunk it. Political ads and fundraising are banned. Nearly 205 million people are registered to vote as the world's third largest democracy heads to the polls on Wednesday. Reuters correspondent Christy Kilburn. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of everyone here at VOA, thank you so much for listening. For pictures, stories, videos, and more, follow VOA News on your favorite social media platform and online at voanews.com. In Washington, I'm Scott Walterman. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. At a recent UN Security Council briefing on threats to international peace and security, cynically called by Russia, UN Undersecretary General for Political and Peacebuilding Affairs, Rosemary DiCarlo, said that since February 2022, 
the UN Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights has reported 30,041 civilian casualties in Ukraine, with 10,382 killed, including 579 children. She noted that the number of civilian casualties significantly increased in December and January. Robert Wood, U.S. Alternative Representative for Special Political Affairs, said the United States laments all civilian casualties and expresses its sincerest condolences to the families of any civilians killed. Though there is much we don't know, we do know this. The Kremlin bears full responsibility for the unconscionable death and destruction brought about as a consequence of Putin's war of aggression against Ukraine in violation of the U.N. Charter. Russian forces invaded a peaceful neighbor and continue their relentless attacks against Ukraine. Ambassador Wood noted that investigators associated with the UN Human Rights Monitoring Mission in Ukraine and the Independent International Commission of Inquiry on Ukraine continue their heroic efforts to document and investigate all alleged violations and abuses of human rights near the front lines and informally occupied areas. This reporting has painted a brutal, blood-soaked image of civilian suffering and unspeakable atrocities committed by Russian forces in Bucha and many other places. We must remember, said Ambassador Wood, that Russia alone started this war and its aggression against Ukraine is a blatant violation of the UN Charter and of Ukraine's territorial integrity. Even as we sit here, Russia continues to flout international law as it doubles down on its violations of the UN arms embargo on the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. Russia and the DPRK must be held accountable for their actions, which undermine long-standing obligations under UN Security Council resolutions. Russia, said Ambassador Wood, is the only aggressor in this war and the only one that could end this war today. The United States, he declared, renews our calls for Russia to immediately withdraw its forces from Ukraine's internationally recognized borders, cease its unlawful procurement of arms and materiel from the DPRK, and meet its responsibilities as a member of this council. That was an editorial.